Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, my friends. How are you? I missed you last week. Anytime I'm gone, I always miss you. I'm going to invite you this morning to turn to John chapter 7, and we're going to look at verses 37 to 39 this morning as we continue our series on the importance of the Holy Spirit in our life. I'll give you that time to turn there, but I want to say a happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, I want to thank you. We, we would not be the same without good dads, uh, the guys that lead in the home, and they provide a strong model of leadership and personal sacrifice. Uh, the men who lead their homes with integrity and respect, uh, who show the example of what it is like to love your wife well. Uh, a lot of what it means to do life is more caught than taught. You watch a living example of someone showing you how to do life, and then you go and do life like that. We would not be the same without good, strong, faithful, godly dads leading in the home. And I'm the beneficiary of one of those because I consider my dad to be one of the best. And so thank you for what you do, dads. I just wanted to say that before we get into the word. Thank you so much. Um, I was reading John Stott. He's a famous theologian. And he said, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. How many of you feel like that? I feel like that pretty much, I don't know, every day of the week. But here's what he went on to say. He said, but if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I can live a life like his. And he's absolutely right. See, this whole series on the Holy Spirit is so that we could capture a statement like that. Not just because a world-renowned theologian once said it, but instead because we can actually live it. It becomes a part of the, the practical outworking of the life of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and all who have called on the name of Jesus Christ. We want to live like that. We want to be overcomers. We, want to be, we don't want to be defeated. And Jesus, there's this moment in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39, where he's got the folks together, and of course, he has some things to say. Here's the way the text reads. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, believing in Jesus. But the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. Now, last statement, don't get too confused about that. You know, when Jesus is looking at the guys and it's time for him to ascend, he's had his earthly ministry, he's died on the cross, he has risen from the dead, he has his 40 days where he's hanging out with the guys and appearing to all of the people. And then he says, I gotta go. And they're like, oh, whoa. And they didn't want him to go. I wouldn't either. Because they were used to having him walk with them. And he says, but don't worry, I'm gonna leave one with you that will be your comforter and your teacher. One of the same kind. And that means the Holy Spirit who will indwell you. 
Here, it says that there's this festival going on. Just so you know, it was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And if you don't know what that is, it basically goes back to a time where God instructed the people, uh, the Jews, to remember their journey through the wilderness in the Exodus, where they needed God for their basic provisions every day. You gotta understand, they weren't a walking military. These were folks that had been in more than 400 years of slavery and bondage. And then they have this big journey home ahead of them. How are they gonna get there? Well, they have to walk through a wilderness. And I've actually been out in that wilderness. And I'm telling you, if you like to drink sand, do I have a place for you? But if you like to drink water, it is hard to come by. And so what they had to is every single day of their life, from the place that they were to the place that they were going, they had to know what it was like to practically call out on God and to say, we're gonna lean in you, into you for your daily provisions. Just give us enough for today because we gotta keep going. Spiritually, have you ever been there before? Uh, even as a believer, have you ever been into a place where you're in a little bit of a dry spell? Like you can't feel God, but you're still having to make the choice to say every single day, I'm taking a step and I'm going forward in the journey because I certainly know that I have. So here you are in the Feast of Tabernacles and they're reminded in this, remember my provisions for you as you journeyed through a very difficult place. And what they had to remember was he had opened the Red Sea for them. That was a water moment, wouldn't you agree? It's about 137 degrees outside here in Texas right now. I totally enjoyed the water moments, not gonna lie. How about this? In this one point, they strike a rock and water flows from the rock so that the people could drink from it. There was another water moment for the people. He turned bitter water, something like Topo Chico, <laughs> into drinkable water. I'm, I'm kidding. For those of you that like Topo Chico, drink it. It's too fizzy. But here's what they did to remember this moment. They, they would build booths or they would build tents for the people, they would journey into Jerusalem. For the people that already lived in Jerusalem, they would put their tent up on their home. For those that didn't, and they were journeying in for this time of remembering what God had done, they would bring a tent with them. And remember, when you're traveling, maybe you're in Egypt and you're trying to get back home, you're gonna have to put your home together, break it down and carry it with you the next day as you go. So it's this, all of this remembering of everything that God had done to provide for them from where they were going to where they were supposed to be. Spiritually, my friends, we are on a very similar journey from where we are to where we are supposed to be. And spiritually, when we're on that journey, I know that it can get a little bit dry, but I was reminded of this statement. Have you ever, in a hot day, had somebody come up to you and give you cold water? Boy, when they do, the saying makes sense. It's like a cup of cold water on a hot day. Football players, get ready, because it's coming. It's coming. See, Jesus, in verse 37, he says, if anyone is thirsty, what? He says, come to me. Come to me. Now, the question for me becomes, well, how do I know that I have a thirsty soul? And there are different kinds of thirst. Tim Challey said some things that I thought were pretty interesting I want to share with you this morning. He said, when you talk about it, there are different kinds of souls here. One is a dry soul. That might be you. See, a dry soul is a, is, a, is a thirst that is felt only by those who believe in Jesus. This is, this is those that are followers of him. It doesn't indicate that you've fallen away from the Lord, but you're just in a dry spot spiritually and that your soul is in need of refreshment. Sometimes you feel close to God. Other times, God feels very far away. Sometimes you don't feel close to God because you've got sin in your life. That does tend to create a little bit of separation, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you think about it. 
Sin will separate you from your wife or your husband or your kids or your friends. It also separates you from God. Sometimes you feel the distance. Sin can do it. Oh. That, was, that was just a bad joke and I take it back. So you have a dry soul. Sometimes it's because you're tired and burned out. You should have a dry soul. Sometimes it's because your soul is being formed through your circumstances. God leads you into a difficult place like he leads the Israelites through a difficult place because there's a promise on the other side of it. Sometimes, sometimes it's that. See, sometimes you have a dry soul because you are feeling the weight of a moment, like right now. <laughs> but you feel the weight of the moment more than you feel the presence of God. Have you ever been there before? I know that I have. Sometimes it's been in seasons of grief and you just feel it. And other times it's because of your circumstances and you feel it. And I have no idea why the lights are bombing on me like this right now, but we're going with it. <laughs> Here's the second category for you, the satisfied soul. Have you ever been satisfied? I was just in meetings in New Orleans this last week and it gave me an opportunity to go back to some of my favorite restaurants from the time that I lived in New Orleans. I'm telling you friends, I was satisfied. It was really good. The satisfied soul desires God precisely because he is satisfied in him. You know what it's like. You've tasted a good thing and you want more of a good thing. You just want more. Ever been there? I think about maybe back to when you were dating. For those of you that dated. And you would see each other. You would have this amazing experience together. And it was so much fun. And then you take her and drop her off at home. And then you go back home. And you're just like, I don't know. I want to be with her again or him. You know what I'm talking about? And so you get back to the place and you get on the phone and you go, hey girl, I'm just missing you right now. See, you had a satisfied soul, but even though you were satisfied, you wanted more. It's like that. There's a third category as well. And this is some of you. You just have an empty soul. You have an empty soul. It's because there isn't God in it. There is no God present in you. There is no relationship with God. And you can feel it. The unbeliever is constantly looking for something, anything, but unable to fill the emptiness. But man, we will try. I was reminded of this show, and I love this show. It's called The Good Place. Any of you ever see The Good Place? It was created by a guy named Michael Schur. For some of you, you probably know Michael Schur because you've heard of a show called The Office. Anybody heard of The Office? There you go or Parks and Rec? Anybody watch Parks and Rec? Here, let's watch an episode. This is one of his shows. Now, Michael Schur started to think about some of the deeper things of life. Like, he's incredibly successful, but what's it all about? Kind of the, the question like, why are we here? Why are we living? And he starts to research, and he ends up writing. For about a year, he ends, he ends up trying to take some time to come up with what was like the pilot episode of this show, which is about a number of characters that wake up and they're in the afterlife. Now, I'm not gonna give you the rest of the story because I want you to go and watch it and I think it's fun and it's not necessarily Christian because in fact, with some of the things it says, it's not Christian. But this is why I bring up the examples because Michael Schur, after this show comes out, was interviewed. Uh, in the New York Times, this is in January, 2020. And they said, so what was your conclusion? You did all this digging, like what's life all about? What does it really mean? And this is what he said. He said, well, we just try to make the world a better place. 
but we're doomed to fail. But the point is just that we try. And I, I remember reading that line and going, what an absolutely hopeless way of looking at life. Nothing that you do is ever really ultimately going to succeed. And in the end, there's just gonna be the end. But at least you tried. You know, it reminded me of the myth of Sisyphus. You know, Sisyphus, who was condemned by the gods to push a rock up the hill, only to have the rock roll back down, only for him to have to push the rock back up the hill. And at the end of it, it's, just, it's like Sisyphus has to imagine that he's happy. You have to pretend. That is the characteristic of an empty soul. And this is exactly the kind of soul that exists when they don't have God filling it up. See, we have this, this dissatisfaction in us and it's there for a reason, my friends. It is meant to provoke you to see things a different way, to look at the world differently than you do. And Jesus gives some example in the passage that we just read for a dry and an empty soul. He says water. We know what it's like when we're thirsty. He says, drink some water. Now, I'm gonna point something out. Sometimes we go to things that are not able to quench a thirst when we are thirsty. Is that fair? And I'm gonna give you an example. Any soda drinkers out there? Raise those hands, don't. Stop it. <laughs> Everybody's now he's gonna be judging me when I go out to lunch and he sees me. I'm not. Soda drinkers, I want you to think about this. Soda drinker, it dehydrates you. It actually has a worse effect on you. It does not have a helping effect on you. See, in this example, if you seek satisfaction, your ultimate satisfaction in work, that's like drinking soda. Work's not bad. This is not what it was meant to do. Or if you are trying to immerse yourself totally in your family and your family is everything that you are about. It's not a bad thing that you have a family. That's a good thing. I've got my own. But that's not what my family is meant to do. You get the idea? See, if pleasure is the meaning behind everything that you do and you don't have pleasure in your life, you don't have meaning in your life. If your personal happiness is it's what you think that your life is all about and something happens in your life and you lose your happiness, you just lost your meaning to your life. Jesus is trying to say, that's right because it's not what any of this is about. It's not what any of this is about. Solomon gives us some insight in Ecclesiastes 5.10. This is a guy that had tremendous success. He had tremendous wealth. He's described as being able to expand his kingdom well beyond that of his father, David. And he said in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income, and this is meaningless. He also describes it as grabbing after the wind. You ever tried to grab the wind? Good luck, you cannot catch it. It's a useless endeavor. It is like shifting deck chairs on the Titanic. It's what it is. And he had all of it. He said, I was grabbing after the wind. That is an example. But you know what's funny is we keep coming back to the same things. Why is that? Well, this is why I gave the example of those that drink soda. And I used to. It's because our souls are like people that have a sugar diet. Sugar hits the reward center of your brain, so you want more and more of it. You hit it, and your body goes, mm, reward center, gets triggered. You give a little bit of time. I want that hit again, mm, and you come back to it. Our souls are absolutely no different than those that gravitate towards sugar. It gives us a little bit of a hit, and then as soon as it wears off, we don't feel its effect. Mm, I need that hit again of whatever it is. And that's what's going to fill my soul. And Solomon says, but no, it's not. And Jesus says, and no, it's not. 
What you really need when you think about it is something different. Because what you get with a sugar diet is more weight gain, fatty liver disease, and increased risk of heart attack and stroke. That ends the medical portion of the sermon this morning. You are welcome. Instead, Jesus says what you actually need is something that's gonna flush your soul out. Something that's going to actually cleanse you from the inside out. He says, so if you're thirsty, I want you to come to me and take a drink. It's gonna be different. Put down the Dr. Pepper, actually try some water. And when you're drinking water, it's not just something that you have. It's something that you're putting to good use for yourself. It is good for your body. Jesus is saying, exactly, and I am good for your soul. I am good for your soul. He says, when you really take of it, verse 38, he says, it's like rivers of living water will flow from your heart. The water is moving. Things are happening. This is what happens when you really take me in. So if you've ever come to a point spiritually, you feel like you're stagnant, make sure that you keep drinking. Make sure that you keep drinking. It's like Niagara Falls. You ever been there? The water has been flowing for thousands of years, but my friends, the water has a source, and that's the Great Lakes. There's a source of the water's flow. There's a source of the water's power. That's the same kind of picture of what Jesus is trying to get when he says, come and believe in me, and then I will hand the Spirit to you. You will have a source of power, and it will keep things moving. That's how we get Jesus' life transferred to our life. Oh, Tony Evans said it like this. He said, when you accept Jesus, you get a pump that moves God's life inside of you. It activates God's life inside of you. Most of your homes have plenty of water, right? And you know what it's like when you turn on the spigot and the water starts to flow out. You also know what it is like to turn the spigot off and the water just stops. The point that Jesus is making is, is which kind of life do you want here? Do you want the spigot on or do you want the spigot off? Because Niagara Falls, even though I gave that example, there have been two times that I know of in its history that the water stopped flowing. And one of those times is because men made it stop. They stopped it up. How do we do that? Scripture gives a couple of examples how we stop the flow. The way that it describes it is, is we grieve the Holy Spirit. It's how we stop it up. Negative speech, for example, in Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. But for some of us, we don't take the Proverbs seriously. The power of life and death are in the tongue. And then we watch and we're literally killing our relationships around us because of our mouth. Negative speech, it grieves the spirit. We also grieve the spirit when we don't get rid of, and I quote Ephesians 4.31, we don't get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior. Or Ephesians 4.32, when we fail to be kind to each other, when we're not tenderhearted with each other, when we don't forgive each other. Need to forgive somebody today? When we don't forgive each other just as God through Christ has forgiven you. When, when you're more known for holding on to the wrongs that somebody has din, done to you, rather than recognizing the wrongs that they've done and working to forgive the person, you're known for holding on to it. Is there anything more opposed to what Jesus modeled for us than that? And what Paul says, this grieves the Spirit of God. It grieves him. That's why I say these things are kind of like a Dr. Pepper soul. And it's time to feed your soul with something else. And when we grieve the spirit, we block the flow of his power. 
something I want you to remember this morning. Because it doesn't have to be that way, right? It might be that way. It just doesn't have to be that way. You know that the Spirit of God is moving when changes are happening in you, even if it's small. You know the Spirit of God is moving when you can see the changes happening in you. And that's why I'm encouraging this morning, just keep drinking. He says, come to me and take a drink. Because once you stop drinking, you stop being filled with what you are consuming. Keep on taking it in. Jesus will change you through the Holy Spirit. If, if you look in the word, the Holy Spirit appears 59 times in the book of Acts. 59 times. And in 36 of those appearances, the Holy Spirit is speaking to people. I give you that for a reason. The Holy Spirit wants to talk with you. He wants to talk with you. And because the Spirit wants to talk with you, you need to make the space for that to actually happen. The Spirit's primary vehicle, this is what I want you to write down. See, we are a people of the book in this church. We take the word of God very seriously. And the reason that we take the word of God very seriously here is because it's filled with God's thoughts. So we're constantly trying to take our own thoughts, pull those things out and put something good in its place. God's thoughts seem to be a good, a good category for me. What about you? So if you think about it, how does this happen? How does the, the power of the Spirit flow through us? And the answer is the Spirit's primary vehicle for moving and speaking in our lives is you being in the Word of God. That is the primary way. The Spirit conforms us to Christ's character, Romans 8, 29 says. And the Spirit helps us walk in the path of wisdom, Proverbs 2, 20 and 22 says. We walk in the path of wisdom. And when you do it, you actually accomplish the will of God in your life. And that's a good thing. Here's a second. The most common way the Spirit speaks in the book of Acts other than through the Scripture is through the church. It's through the church. This is why when a person says that they're going to sit at home and they're going to be a fulfilled and satisfied Christian, I'm like, you need to take a deeper look at the Word of God because you won't. You have disconnected your source from a wealth of wisdom and support, but let me give you an example. In Acts 13, two, it says, while the church was worshiping the Lord and fasting, while they're together, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This happened when the group was together and God gave the church specific insight into what Saul and Barnabas were supposed to do. It came from the people and it went to them. Throughout his life, Paul received instructions about where to go and what to do through members of the church. And he gave similar words of instruction to Timothy. You need to be in a Bible-based church and you need to be active in it. Otherwise, you're separated from one of the main vehicles that God uses to shape your life into Jesus. And then here's another example. Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Every single follower of Jesus has a spiritual gift. Every single one. And it's meant to be put to good work, which happens through the local church for the common good. Three main ways. You stay in the word, you stay in the church, and you put your spiritual gift to good work through the church. And that keeps the water flowing. It keeps the spirit moving in your life. That's how God meant it to be. When people talk to me about, well, I'm trying to find the will of God, I'm like, we found the will of God. This is it. This is it. That you would do justice, that you would love mercy, that you care for the poor and the widowed and the orphaned. Most of what God wants you to spend your time in, he has already told us. It's just a matter of, are we doing it? Just are we doing it? And when the answer is no, we block the flow. 
Can you remember that? When the answer is no, we block the flow. So today we have a choice. And the choice is a relatively simple one. Is that you can make the choice like Joshua before where he says, as for me and my house, today we will serve the Lord. Maybe today is a day of decision for you. Just like that. I mean, you can know, you can right the ship, you can correct the course, you can move in a different direction. You can lean back into the Holy Spirit who gives you every measure of power that you need to live godly and holy lives. And you know what? The world needs it. The world needs us living like that. Like that. Those are the people that change the world. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.